When there's a will, there is a way. Can they hear us now? Good! <laughs> what up, what up, what up everyone? Welcome to episode 339 of Combo's Court and I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button wherever you tune into Combo's Court. Today's show, Sam S. Fandiari of Blue Wires Light Years Podcast joins in to talk Warriors basketball, trade deadline, and more. Can't wait for you all to hear this one. You can find Sam on Twitter at Sam Esfandiari. That's S-A-M-E-S-F-A-N-D-I-A-R-I. You know you can find me on Instagram at 12combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Fandiari, the Light Years Podcast, Blue Wire Podcast Network. Welcome back to Combos Court. It's always good having you on the show. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. The trade deadline week is crazy. What has been on your mind? I think the Kings are crazy, in my opinion. Any thoughts <laughs> on that? <laughs> I mean, apparently they're going to make more moves, but I just don't understand Starting from here, I thought I thought Tyrese Halliburton was like their one untouchable guy. I thought they were trying to build around him, and apparently not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, like he's a guy that I feel like you could build with. Like he could play well with any star you could even think of. I think Sabonis is a guy you have to build around. Mm-hmm. And De'Aaron Fox doesn't really provide spacing. He's playing with Rashawn Holmes. Doesn't really provide spacing. They got rid of Buddy Heald. They're one great shooter. Tyrese Halliburton's a shot maker. Like it doesn't make sense to me, but maybe you're right. Maybe there's more moves, more moves to come. But if I ran the franchise, Tyrese Halliburton would have been my untouchable guy. Yeah, I guess, I guess they want to give it a go around deer and Fox. Like now I don't know how Fox and, and uh, Sabonis is really going to work. That's kind of two guys who are best with the ball in their hands and you kind of want shooting around them. So we'll, we'll see what they do, but surface level, little confused. <laughs> Any, anything else in the deadline that has been fascinating you? I mean, I, I, I got to be like everyone else. I'm curious to see what the Lakers do because you see last night's game against the Bucks. I saw it. Yep. <laughs> I, I don't think it's working out for them with what they have. And even if you can figure out a way to get Russ and LeBron to play together, it's just like they, they have no one who can guard on the perimeter, just period. Right. So it's yeah. just like, I'm curious what they do because even though they're kind of in that play-in range right now, you get the right players around LeBron and AD, they become scary really quick. So that's the one I'm kind of most curious about. It's interesting. So like all the noise that this fit won't work, they're older, they're not going to be able to defend. I mean, we could always – like franchises could look at NBA Twitter and NBA media sometimes and go like, we're just going to follow what we think and we're not going to listen to the noise. But the one way the Warriors were great – and we can shift to the Warriors now, yeah. <laughs> is they didn't listen to the noise with Kaminga. They're like, we like this guy. We're making this pick. Because coming into the draft, everything was negative around Kaminga. It kept like his draft stock kept sliding and sliding and sliding. And Warriors did not listen to the noise. And it looks like it's turning out well. I mean, he's really playing great as of late. 
Yeah, I think the the interesting thing is when when we were looking at it uh, before the draft, it's like, okay, if they're going to keep the number seven pick, they can't take another project. Obviously, James Wiseman, kind of a raw prospect in his own right, and he's had bad luck with injuries and everything. It's like, are you really going to add another player who's maybe three, four-year development project, like yeah. what people projected Kuminga to be? And the Warriors went the opposite way. They re they basically remade their entire development staff and Kerr kind of cleaned house with half of his coaching staff. And they kind of bet on themselves that they could really change the way they develop players. And I think that is kind of the untold story here. Like the, the big hire that everyone knows they got Kenny Atkinson. He's obviously been a pretty accomplished coach with what he did with Brooklyn, helping develop players there before Katie and Kyrie, but also bringing in uh, Jama Malela from, um, Toronto, who gets a lot of credit for his work with Siakam and OG and Nobi and Fred Van Vliet. And like, they, they're really committed to this idea that they can compete and develop at the same time, which, you know, not a lot of people, basically the Spurs are the only team I can think of who's ever been able to pull that off. Right. That most definitely. And Toronto is doing it right now. Like they get players, they feel like they could develop over time. They have some tools they have some raw intangibles that we could teach them to be shooters i think that's what they're going with now and i think it's a great way to do things i mean i think even memphis is getting in that mix where we could develop these guys you know uh we look more for culture than maybe talent at times but we also want those guys with the tools and we could develop them over time like the heat the spurs as you mentioned toronto and i think memphis is getting into that mix as well Absolutely. And, and Kuminga is an interesting player because it's like the, the skill set. I mean, it just jumps off the screen anytime you watch him. Like he's yeah. a freak athlete. And it's, it's not just that it's like, he's got a certain level of feel and skill that you just don't find guys who are six, eight who move like that. Who can also handle the ball and do some of the things he can do. Right. Um, it's been interesting watching Steve Kerr kind of find ways to get him in, but also, use kind of traditional tough love coaching with him. Like he did not get into the rotation until he showed he was willing to defend at kind of a warrior's level. Like uh, I think to the first homestand at the beginning of the season, they threw him out there on DeMar DeRozan. And it was basically like, if you want to play, you got to show me you're at least willing to put in the work and really hound DeMar. And obviously DeMar's having a phenomenal year, right? And he did a really good job on him and he earned himself more minutes. He did the typical young player thing, which was after a few good games, he kind of started relaxing and maybe not, you know, playing with as much intensity immediately back out of the rotation, which was kind of perplexing to fans. They're like, how are you not playing this guy? Like we can all see the talent he has, but I think it's working. I think that's I think that's probably the only way you can really integrate a young player with a team that clearly has championship aspirations. Yeah, it's great to see a young player get reps on a team that's really good. And it's interesting how many young players are coming in as better defenders. Like we see Scotty Barnes, we see Evan Mobley, we see Herb Jones, Kaminga showing flashes. Mm-hmm. Now I feel like there's going to be just higher expectations for rookies when before we never felt like a rookie could be a good to high level defender right away. No, I mean, Scotty Barnes has been amazing. And then Evan Mobley, I mean, I just can't think of a one and done who's ever defended as well as he has his rookie year. Like, I, I don't know. It's, can you think of anyone? I'm, tr- I'm trying to think back. Well, obviously, Garnett, was, but how good was he in terms of, obviously, his one-on-one defense was always great for the beginning, but I'm kind of trying to think back on how, his, how he was as like a helping team defender at that point. But I'm sure it was pretty good. 
Yeah, it's like the one thing that I remember about rookie Kevin Garnett, obviously he was high school, um, so he didn't have a right. year in college. Exactly. Was, um, he was like the skinniest player I'd ever seen at that time. So he like, like Evan Mobley's pretty skinny just because rookies tend to not be filled out. Garnett was like another level of skinny. That's always like the thing that sticks in my mind when I think of young Kevin Garnett. Yeah, I'm getting a little bit off track here, but I do yeah. want to talk about Chet for a second because – Skittiness never stopped a player, and that's the number one concern with Chet. And we see all these players that, is he too skinny? Like, we thought that about KD. We thought that about Kevin Garnett. There's, we thought that about Dirk. Not we, as in me and you, but just in general as a, you know, as NBA media community. And I don't think it really ever hindered a player. So I really like Chet as the number one pick, and I don't think it's going to hinder him in any way. And I think he'll fill out a little bit. No, I'm with you. Actually, the the track record shows the opposite, which is if a guy is skinny, that means he has more room for improvement. Like everyone's exactly. going to fill out their body at some point. Like, sure, the first couple of years is going to be pretty rough for Chet. Like, it's there's just no other way around it. He's going to get in there and he's going to have to deal with guys like Anthony Davis and, you know, just who are like adult size. But once he felt he's this good while not having grown into his body. Right. How good is he going to be when he puts on 30 pounds, when he gets 25, 26 and just gets like stronger naturally, right? Like in some ways, I feel like the players who are super physically mature at a young age can sometimes be fool's gold. Like obviously there's exceptions to it, but like you think of, um, i trying to think of a good example off the top of my head. Um Someone like Anthony Bennett, for example, right? A lot of bully ball at younger ages, right? All of a yeah. sudden, he gets to a certain level where he—I mean, he's still strong, but he's no longer able to just bully everyone. And you start realizing, like, eh, he maybe is not as good as we thought he was. Yeah, I mean, we could even take it back all the way to like, let's say, middle school basketball, right? I mean, yeah. those like overdeveloped kids—they look really good in eighth grade, and maybe you're not looking at the kid with the skill set, with the length, and then all of a sudden he right. explodes later when everything gets more competitive, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's so that's the general idea. The other one is like um, players who aren't in the best of shape, like Marcus all and James Harden popped to mind. If you remember yeah. them uh, in college or just coming through the circuit, they're like overweight, you know, but they obviously had talent, like a lot of talent. James Harden gets to OKC, gets his body kind of in, you know, peak shape. And all of a sudden, you know, I mean, we don't need to talk about his career. He's been phenomenal, right? Yeah. But, like, that was the thing. At ASU, he was, what, 15, 20 pounds overweight relative, but he yeah. had the skill. So it's like you get guys on NBA programs, and if they're committed to it, you're going to get them. You know, don't judge a guy by the shape he's in at 18 or 19 unless you think he has, like, something that's going to prevent him from actually getting to optimal shape. Would you have Chet as number one on your big board? I think I would, but I don't – um I'm, I want to watch a little more. I'm willing to say it's still like a three-player three player draft. If if I was picking today, I would still take Chet, though. Like, just the, the skill. How many guys of his size with that sort of shot-blocking feel and touch on the perimeter do you find? It's not just, like, the shooting touch. It's, like, the passing. Like, you could see an NBA team yeah. in a few years running their offense through him the way that they do with, Yoke, I mean, completely different type of player, but like, you know how, like you could see a team making him like a point center over time. Yeah. I think you have to dig a little bit deeper. Like he's not the player, the college basketball player. Some of these other guys are right. Oh, you know, like Jabari and maybe even Paulo. But when you look a little bit deeper, how his skill set is going to translate to the next level, 
I think he has the highest ceiling in my opinion. Yeah. Like the, the questions for me would be purely like if, uh, if like my medical staff had a serious issue about him, that sort of thing. something I can't speak to, like those would be really the only issues because from a skill set perspective, he has by far the most intriguing skill set of any of the guys in the draft. Most definitely. Let's shift back to the Warriors. Obviously, you watch and you're tapped into all of the Warriors games. Just from a body movement perspective, what would you say the percentage is that Clay is back right now? Um, physically, I can't tell he ever got hurt. It's insane to me, honestly. Wow. Like there's timing issues in terms of it's really funny. The first five five to ten games he was back, I mean. Every time he touched the ball, he was shooting it, like even more than normal. And that was the sort of like, yeah, I can tell you haven't played uh, played in a team for 30 months because you're just so excited to get out there and do your thing. But in terms of the way he's moving on both ends of the floor, he looks like the Clay Thompson I remember pre-injury. He's not having an issue staying in front of defenders. Uh, he's not having an issue getting separation on his jump shot. Um it looks like 95% of the guy he was before physically. And it's not like he was, you know, I mean, he's a good athlete, but it's not like his game was based off of like quick twitch athleticism or anything, but it's still jarring to see just like how little it seems to have impacted him. So from a basketball player standpoint, you like the biomechanics, obviously you like the player yeah. movement and from a basketball standpoint, what does he have to do to get back to old clay or in your opinion, is he already there? I mean, he's probably 75% of the way there. I think it's just a timing thing. You're throwing him into a team that was, I think they had the second best record in the NBA by the time he came back. They're okay. playing excellent basketball. They're rolling. Everyone knew their roles. Uh, it was a little difficult for Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole to figure out how they fit in when you insert Clay Thompson, who's going to be kind of the clear second option when he's on the floor into there. So there was some of that, like, how do they fit? How does this all work? And there was some of just kind of clay, like, I don't know, man, he hasn't played organized basketball in two and a half years. There's going to be a little bit there, but like in general, ahead of the curve and any, any sort of issue I see with him is just stuff that he just needs more reps. That's really yeah. too. Yeah. I like that. He came in gunning because mm -hmm. I think it's easier to do it that way and then scale back a little bit than to come in hesitant and try and ramp up. And it just shows his mindset that he's not like anybody I've been through major injuries. Anybody knows it's a challenge to get over it physically and mentally. You don't want to step on anybody's foot. You don't want to land the wrong way. It's something you're thinking about. And he hasn't seemed to struggle with that part of it too much. No, it's, it's been the opposite. I mean, some, some people would say the, the Achilles tear was a function of being too overzealous in his rehab from the ACL. And maybe that's just who Clay is. He's the guy, like, they still have him on a minutes restriction because he's a guy you kind of have to stop for himself. They're still not letting him play back-to-backs. And I don't think he's going to play any back-to-backs this year because what's the point? They have enough depth that they can rest him. He's resting tonight as they play the Utah Jazz. He's going to play tomorrow when they play the Knicks. So there's a lot of kind of save him from himself because Clay's just one of those guys he's wired. Like it's, it's truly amazing having two devastating injuries. It does not seem to have affected his psyche in any way, at well, least in terms of like on the basketball court, having any sort of timidness with, you know, re-injury. Yeah. So if he could get back to 95% of full Clay as a basketball player, in the playoffs, with the experience that the Warriors have, it's looking pretty good right now, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, you mentioned the trade deadline 
the Warriors are not going to do anything with the trade deadline. And it's 50% because of cap reasons. It's boring, but like they would have to trade Andrew Wiggins or James Wiseman just to make contracts match. And Andrew Wiggins, I mean, how would you even trade him right now? Like you're not doing that, right? Like he's been too good to your team. You got, you want to see, you want to see it the whole way through. And James Wiseman, he's just been hurt. So you really going to dump him when he's at his lowest value to pick up like a backup player. No, you'd rather just get him back out on the court and see what happens at this stage. So it's possible they could add a guy at the buyout market, but like short of adding another big, which I do think they probably need because if they are to get to the finals, they're going to have to go through someone like the Milwaukee Bucks with the Giannis or someone like that. They could use another body inside, someone who can give them some minutes there. And maybe someone comes out available on the buyout market. But short of that, this is probably the team they're going to roll with. And I think they're pretty happy with it. Yeah, obviously you're trying to maximize the timeline of the Splash Brothers was there a move in the trade deadline that you would like to see them have made? I mean, would you think about giving up a James Wiseman? I think Kaminga's pretty much an untouchable, but as we see with Tyrese Halliburton, there's no such thing as an untouchable. Was there a move that you would have liked to see them made for Miles Turner? I w- I'd like them to get Miles Turner, but here's the reality of it. They couldn't acquire him without giving up James Wiseman and one of Looney or Kuminga. That's just from a cap perspective. They can't make the contracts work to get you there. So if you're uh, telling me I have to trade Wiseman and Kuminga, you know, eh, no, that's not happening, right? Like, and yeah, even no. Looney, like you're trying to add a big man so it doesn't all fall on Looney. If you're trading Looney and Wiseman for one center, you still kind of have an issue of like, well, we got Miles Turner and if he has foul trouble, we have no options, you know, that yeah. sort of thing, right? So like, I would have liked to see them get him, but there's just no way. And that's where I'm kind of like, there were trade ideas maybe in the beginning of the season I would have entertained that involved Andrew Wiggins and kind of reshaping the roster. But once you start seeing how well Andrew Wiggins is playing and how much he's taken off, you just kind of have to ride with it. There's, there's, there's nothing. Well, when's the last time at all NBA, I mean, all NBA starting gets traded. Yeah. Gets, it's, it's traded. Yeah. That would have happened. And, yeah, it's not happening, and it's like there, there's no trade out there that's going to make you better anyway. So yeah, so yeah, well, just from a, let's say let's throw the cap out of it. Let's just sure. I just want to see how you value Kaminga. Would you have traded Kaminga for Miles Turner straight up? Mm, no, Kaminga is even if I acknowledge Miles Turner is going to help you more in the playoffs this year because he's 25 and Kaminga's 19, and that's generally how it works. I can't. I can't with Kuminga's upside. It's too high. Uh, he's already given them productive minutes. I I think the thing that's exciting about Kuminga is he might not be as raw of a prospect as maybe people thought he was going into the draft. Like they may, he may be starting for this team next year. He will definitely be good enough to start by like the end of next year at the current trajectory he's going at. And he yeah, I, I'm not trading him. He's he's up there with the Splash Brothers in terms of untouchable for me right now. Wow, so the floor is higher than people thought you're saying. Yes, I think this both the floor and the ceiling are higher than maybe anyone thought when he was picked at seven. So I'm assuming you would trade Wiseman for Miles Turner straight up, right? I would. Um, 
and maybe that maybe that's recency bias that I haven't seen him play in 12 months, you know, yeah, like yeah. he's just been rehabbing the knee and everything, but it's like, at least that's a big for a big, like you're, you're basically betting on the fact that Wiseman won't be a significantly better player than miles Turner in three years. And if it gets you a title, so be it Kuminga, different type of player uh, already contributing, just too exciting for me to give up. Okay. So Wiseman, what's the update? He's, he's back in contact. Now he's playing a little bit in the, in practice. First contact practice yesterday, well, Tuesday, um, three on threes. Uh, They were in Utah because they're playing the Jazz on Wednesday night. That's the first time we've seen him do contact work. There is some thought that if this keeps going positively, we will see him right after the All-Star break. Uh, Obviously, if there's any sort of complication, keep pushing that back a little bit. But that's kind of the timeline that people are running with whether he's back the first game after the all-star break or a week after that's when we should see him. Okay. Staying on injuries for a second. How transparent have the warriors been with Draymond because now there's things with his back, right? Going on. And that's, that sounds scary. He spoke to the media for like 45 minutes last week. And by the way, just no one is better with a microphone in their hand than Draymond green. No, Um, definitely, definitely a guy that should have a podcast and does have a podcast. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) He um, just judging by how positive he is, it's hard to be significantly concerned. Like you're obviously concerned when you hear herniated disc and back, that's just never a good thing, but just the way he was talking about, he says he feels no pain. He thinks he's going to be back right after the all-star break. And I just can't imagine he would get up there and say that sort of stuff. If he was worried now, He's not a doctor. He doesn't have control over that sort of stuff. But just based off of the way he's talking about it, there's optimism there. Yeah, it, he is so funny as a podcaster because he doesn't care. He will touch on like current NBA topics. Yeah, it's I mean, he's <laughs> it's kind of like it, he's like breaking that. What would you call it? The third wall or the fourth rail or whatever, something like that, where it's just yeah. like, oh, I didn't know current players would just be like, here's what I think is going on with the Lakers and Russell Westbrook. It's like, <laughs> right, well, you, right. You might play them in the first round. Relax. <laughs> right. Sam, great stuff. You're always welcome back on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time. Where can we find you on uh, social media and everywhere else? Yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter at Samus Fandiari. That's my full name. Um, you can also follow at Light Years Pod. Um, we post every episode and anything we do both on my personal and the podcast feed. So you can keep up to date. And obviously you can find the light years pod on Apple, Spotify, anywhere you listen to pods. Sam, thank you so much for taking the time. You're always welcome back on the show and talk soon. Absolutely. Have a good one, man. You too. Thank you for tuning in to combos court. Big shouts to Sam for joining in. We appreciate you. Don't forget to rate review and punch down on that subscribe button. Wherever you tune into combos court. Share this episode with a friend. Share it on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Share it on your IG stories. And tag me on Instagram at 1-2-COMBO. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Be on the lookout for episode 340. Combo out.